0: G'day and welcome to Occupied. This episode, I got the pleasure to talk with the amazing Dr. Nick Pollard. Now, I will apologize because the audio in this episode does get a little bit iffy at times. It was just a, a bad connection that we had, but the the content is well worth it. I Once again, one of those conversations where I am just left absolutely brain-fried because it was so much information and so accurate and so much to reflect on after I recorded this one. So I hope you guys get just as much out of it. So please enjoy Dr. Nick Pollard looking at political competency in occupational therapy. G'day, my name's Brock Cook and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories, and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at occupiedpodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. Okay, well, uh, yeah,
1: I suppose uh, I I started out when I was... I went to so it was a Sheffield City Polytechnic I went to and did a, did a communication studies degree. Um, and I spent a lot of time, actually, because I, I came from quite a small town, um, Swindon, which is uh, in, in, in Wiltshire, um, down in the south of the UK. And uh, so I came out to Sheffield. I, I sort of came out, of, well, well, actually actually came to the city. I, I sort of um, stepped out of the railway station and there was Sheffield City Polytechnic bang, opposite the railway station. It was in the heart of the city. And unlike all the other places I visited, um, I kind of just felt instantly, this is where I wanted to be. And um, it was a great great place. At, at the time, there was a sort of thriving music scene. There was the, the Human League, Beth um, uh, Leopard, bands like that sort of starting out. And, I, you know, there was this sort of fantastic sort of uh, music scene going on. So I spent a lot, a lot of time going to gigs and a lot of time getting involved in student politics and and reading a whole load of other stuff that was completely irrelevant to my degree. And I ended up with a third-class degree sort of three years later. Failed my knuckles on the floor for a bit. It was a period of high unemployment. So I did a variety of odd jobs. And I still had this idea of, of becoming a, a journalist. And eventually, a couple of years later, trained as a radio journalist. Um, and I sort of just drifted about, really, um did a variety of other things. Maybe come back to that later, but it did a variety of other things. And then about 10 years after this, I I ended up, um, there was a a kind of, because of the high unemployment, there was a a youth training program um, called the Youth Training Scheme in the UK, which uh, uh, I'd got involved in teaching people um, how to write business correspondence, how to use a filing cabinet, really, really interesting stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, um, and how to use the Amstrad word processor, which was around at the time. And um, uh, it, was a, it was a private outfit. I can't name the company because it doesn't exist. But um, uh, one of the things that really peed me off with this was um, I had a company car, which is a secondhand hand Fiat Panda. I crashed it into the back of, a, of another car on the way to work within a week of receiving it, and then found out a year later that the company which was teaching people in insurance and accountancy hadn't actually insured the vehicle. Oh, wow. <laughs> and a variety of other things, a, very, a sort of dissatisfaction with, with the standard of the stuff that we were teaching. although people were getting jobs. Um, I just, I, I've got to get out of this. <laughs> and, uh, a girlfriend at the time said, well, you know, um, have you ever thought of becoming an occupational therapist? And set me up with... Uh, a visit to an OT department in Rotherham. and uh, and uh, I went on that and thought, wow, this is fantastic, you know. And I knew then, I knew then, I wanted to work in community psychiatric team at, 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 at some point. So, uh, so yeah, that's I was about thirty, and um, and I hadn't really heard the profession at well. I think I might have met a couple of people who were occupational therapy students at some point, and I was about sort of nineteen. Or so, I've got a vague memory of, of that. But um, I hadn't really heard of the profession; didn't even know it existed until that point, and um, and that, that was, you know, I, I didn't really look back. Um, but I did have—I mean, I spent a lot of time in things like community publishing, that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, as sort of volunteer activity, and then so I suppose the, the the thing that struck me then pretty quickly was that occupational therapy wasn't talking about occupation in the sense that I understood occupation as a kind of um, narrative of experience, shall we say. And, mm-hmm. and that's always been a kind of tension in, in what I've done, you know, in, in OT that thereafter, are But certainly, I mean, it was, it was, a, you know, it was, it was, a, um, it was something I could do. And funnily, funnily enough, all the odds and sods that I've done um, in the interim period, I think a lot of people find this, you know, no matter what you've done, if you come into occupational therapy at a later point in your life, nothing is irrelevant, actually you're going to probably draw on that experience and use it in some way. Um, and, uh, and, and I've, I've certainly, i certainly found that. Um, so, uh, so that, that was how I became an OT. I worked in psychiatry for about 12 years in different, different bits of mostly enduring long-term, um, mental health, severe, you know, and enduring mental health,
2: yep.
1: um, psychiatry. And then, uh, I did an MSC in OT and, um, Got a post part time post as a, as a research and development worker, and that was how I had the opportunity then to get into to higher education. But it was a bit of a bit of a roundabout route.
0: Yeah, and I don't think I've ever met anyone that got into OT from I guess like a almost like a journalism type background, or or an interest in that that side of things.
1: Well, it's not so alien actually, because I think I think one of the things he did on the on the radio journalist course, one of the things he had to do is he you, you went out with a it was a it was a, a battery operated real to reel tape recorder. You had to come back with a story. So if you went out and you didn't get the story you were supposed to get, you had to come back with something. You had to come back with your seven minutes of tape and, and sort of um and, and sort of chop that into it's a bit like factory production. Like, it was it, I thought it was gonna be quite sort of, you know like hard, hard, hard-nosed sort of just hard-bitten journalist sort of right? had this sort of romantic idea of what it was going to be like, and um, it wasn't really. <laughs> you yeah, kind of, you know, a lot of the time you spent doing vox pops on the on the street talking about whatever the latest news item was, and and having to sort of chop this piece of tape up have been in, seeing so into chunks out on different broadcasts. But you had to come back with a story, and I, I suppose sense of what occupational therapy about. Occupational therapy is very much about narratives and listening to what people are saying and, um, and trying to sort of figure out um, where they would, where they might like to be I suppose now that whatever's happened to them has happened. Um, and, uh, and and it might take a long time in psychiatry, you know, you're working with people who are very disengaged, um, very damaged, very damaged by the system they've been in and it might take a long time to unravel what that Mm. Person's really about, I suppose, um, and, and you might get glimpses of it, and then it's gone, and then six months later you get another glimpse, um, uh, and so you're sort of fishing, really, um, for that for that narrative. It's it's quite a, you know, I, I think working in enduring mental health, people think it's a bit of a backwater, but it isn't It's a kind of Zen process. You've got to be very patient, yeah, and um, uh, and I, I and I think that was. That, that sort of tra- that training and looking for stories is is is, is uh, something that that's sort of always carried me through. Because you go anywhere, you go to a conference, you talk to people, um, you go on a on, a, on a, some kind of exchange or something like that. Um, and there's always a, there's always a narrative you can pull out of it. So one of the things you can say is, okay, well, this is going to make us this is going to make an article for OT News. This is going to make a um, you know something we can write about? And uh, uh, there's a there's a there's something to un- un- unravel in this. Let's 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 write let's let's talk about it. Let's do that. Yeah. So quite often, I've kind of developed some of the publications that I've written out of that. As well, probably to do a bit of the collecting mix of stuff in there. But it's there's a narrative that that's a really interesting thing, you
0: know. Yeah, because I, um, I did notice that having a look at your publications list, I'm like, there is a bit of everything in here. There's no like most <laughs> people's. You'll have a look and it'll be like, okay, they've got an interest area in this. And yes, there's a definite sort of mental health flavour in, in quite a lot of it. But there's a bit of everything.
1: Yeah, well, I guess uh, yeah. Uh, uh, occupational therapy is a gateway to being interested in lots of different things. You have to have you have to have that breadth of interest because those are the people that you're working with.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, like my background, uh, psychiatry as well. Like I worked in mental health for a decade before I went into uh, academia a couple of years ago. Um, so mm-hmm. I can uh, the, the communication aspect is that, uh, the aspect that I've always found to be like that's more important than any of the other skill sets as far as i'm concerned when working in psychology because i'm like if you can't talk to someone if you can't build a relationship with someone if you can't you know support them in making sense of their own thoughts uh like having a a big skill set of you know i can run 17 standardized assessments isn't going to help
1: no, you've got to be able to talk to somebody whether on having a fag outside the outside the office, you know, and have a a couple of jokes or maybe, you know
2: I mean
1: a lot of the a lot of the stuff that I used to do was based on just talking to people and, and finding out what they're about and think, okay let's let's figure out how we can we can do something about that. You know, rather than coming in with some prescribed activity.
0: So one of the Sort of big interest areas I did pick up on in a lot of your well, you've obviously written a book about it as well. Is is a political aspect of OT? Mm. How did you develop that? Where did that come into it?
1: Well, um, I suppose <laughs> I, I, when, I, when I when I was eighteen, I was sort of like, I was young, one of the youngest kids in the, I was the youngest student in the year. I was born just on the the point of where the educational year. In yep. In the UK. So, um, uh, so I was a bit overwhelmed with the whole thing, really, and um, you know, it's just big and there are all these people who who, who claim to know all kinds of things about all kinds, of, all kinds of stuff. Um, and they were just impression managing <laughs> a lot of the time. Um. But, uh, yeah, I went on to, to uh, some of the student, student union meetings. The course was taught from, of course, included sort of master's interpretation of history and so forth. So I, I was, wasn't really very happy with, with any of that um, initially. Um, but uh, kind of st- almost, almost straight away, one of the things that happened was there was a, there was a, um, uh, a union meeting where um, the government at the time was going to put up overseas tuition fees for all foreign students, and yep. uh, you know, this was unreasonable. So, um, somebody from the floor called for an occupation of the local education office, uh, which we did right. there and then. You know, it's like a sort of story of the Winter Palace sort of thing. You know, really. so we went into the education office and occupied it. I mean, you know, you probably have a prison record as long as you're around for doing this kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. I mean, that was. A kind of uh, that was a kind of uh, immediate induction into into what you could do and and how you could achieve it, and then uh, the sort of the, the theory came afterwards. So um, so yeah, I kind of imbibed a lot of um uh, of the of the various radical left theories through the sort of seventies and eighties, and I, I kind of I, I got involved in a community um uh, media centre in in the, the mid eighties, and there was a protracted sort of a lot of infighting between different political groups in there, or the hard left. I won't bore people with the details of of, of that.
2: Oh, that's okay.
1: Um, you'd have to have a sort of, you'd have to have a very arcane interest to find any of that amusing. Although there was one really, there was <laughs> one really amusing bit. If if you're if you're that way inclined, which is when an Albanian sponsored called the uh, Workers Revolutionary Party of Great Britain (bracket Marxist Leninist) close brackets came to the came to meeting and brought their the magazine Workers Vanguard. Every sentence in Workers Vanguard had Marxist Leninist in it at least once. The, the record was three times in one sentence. <laughs> it was unreadable. Anyway, <laughs> so there was all this kind of stuff going on. And I just I just got cheesed off with it really. I just thought, well, you know, this this is kind of where I'm at, but on the other hand, you know, I can trust anybody who's around you. And there were these sort of trillion refugees in the in the um, part of the staff. Running the cafe and the 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 and uh, some junior some FPTs. and they they you know they'd really seen political oppression face up, you know, yep. uh, and they were exceedingly pissed off with with the antics. Um and uh, and and I sort of had quite a few conversations with them, and in the end thought this is yeah I, you know so I, I kind of. Never really sidled up to any of the any any of the parties. Well, I've always had it sort of that sort of left wing way, but that is not an education in political science by any stretch of the imagination. So there were holes all over it, and I think that that sort of interest came out from that partly, but also through through the community public publication booth. So I, I got involved in something called the Federation of Worker Writers and Community Publishers. It was actually an Australian branch of this at one point called okay. the Victorian uh, Writers Association. Um, and uh, um, you've got in Australia, you've got a book by um, A.J. Facey, the, "The Fortunate Life," which is an exemplary publication of, of that kind of that kind of movement. And, um, uh, and um, so it's about people talking to their communities about their lives and what they meant, what they signified, what ordinary life signifies, you know, um, and the kind of stuff that isn't visible. Yeah, yep. in, 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 in in history. So um so that was a kind of uh kind of vernacular education, just sort to of in, in writers' workshops talking to talking to people. And and there really wasn't a lot of time for all the sort of Trotskyism and Marxist feminism and all that, that, that kind of stuff. It didn't have much relevance to to, to everyday life. And um and, and so that's the kind of that's the kind of sense of, of politics that that I I would say I have. I was talking to various people in sort of the the, the kind of movements around around social transformation that are going in occupational therapy at the moment, and that's kind of like you know my my sort of thing really is it's it's, sort of, it's, it's how it relates to how, how do these things relate to ordinary people in in their ordinary lives and what they mm. what they probably is um, to get by to survive to be able to say I've done this but to be able to do it with a bit less struggle than, than, um, than is enforced on by by the present system. So uh, so that's the kind of thing I was kind of, I was kind of looking for. And I, I felt, I, I felt all, all the writing because you, you're in this sort of workshop movement. I've lived it for about 30 odd years, and you've got people who can't read or write particularly well um, or learn as adults you know, learn as adult students to express themselves. that' in their 50s, 60's and 70's and 80s, so you got a high lifetime experience and all the kind of diverse communities living in the UK. And I've kind of got those people like Jimmy Cricket over my shoulder. You know, so I'm thinking that whatever they do sort of has to has to um uh kind of acknowledge that um uh that wealth of experience. Yep. You know, and so I think that's that's sort of one of the one of the drivers. When we're talking about occupational therapy, I'm thinking about it's the building, being becoming and belonging, bit. that's I can relate to that, yep. you know, in, in terms of that um bring about everyday experience. So what you're looking you might be looking to a, a, a clinical outcome that you can measure or assess. But actually what you really want to be doing is you want to get somebody back into being an active citizen participating in every aspect of, of, of life, not just going through the motions. And um, for that to happen have to be an awful lot of social changes. So I suppose really that's quite anarchic in the you know, you know, primitive primitive communistic kind of thinking, you know, Oh, stuff that's there in William Morris. You know, when looking at William Morris um, again, and I had dismissed him as a romantic, I was wrong to do that um, uh, in my earlier thinking. Actually, you know, there's a bit of bit of common sense in, in all this this sort of thing. Um, and uh, uh, and so, you know, if we if if we can achieve a convivial way of life, then occupation or Doing, becoming, and
0: belonging because that's probably more accessible than occupation is the key. Okay. Yep. So, do you see? I, I like in what you were describing there, I sort of pick up some links that you've obviously made between like concepts like occupational justice and this sort of having some sort of level of political understanding. Um, and I know uh, at one point, I think it was a couple of years ago, you wrote about political competence. Um. Mm. Is uh, when you're looking at that, are you thinking more like there's a certain level of political competence that every therapist needs, or are you looking at it as some sort of specific areas? Or
1: well, I think it's the thing that you have to. I, I, well, I, I think when, when you, you know, you think about most people coming into the occupational therapy that come straight out of school, maybe that third of them have, have got some other sort of life experience, and you can't expect everybody to to um, immediately. Taken all these, these these issues on, but you're, you're going to require these these things through experience and through different kinds of experiences. So, um, uh, competency is a thing that you might acquire over time. But I mean, I wouldn't say I not you know I wouldn't claim myself to be politically competent because it's something that I'm still finding out about. You know, at the moment, for example, i have um, been asked to sort of explore at the university here, you know, ways in which we can decolonise the curriculum. And um, well, and that's because of we'll the interest the that I developed over, over over yeah. But well, as a white bloke, yeah, from England, yeah, um, with a middle class background, I'm hardly the 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 uh, the well the person you might imagine who could be leading that that kind of thing. And I can't. Um, and at the same time, um, I'm kind of going through this process of reading stuff and you know and finding out yet more stuff because I went ahead fair amount of this sort of um the the warped away from the eyes sort of um, being involved in, in in the federation anyway um a federation of worker writers anyway because we were talking about all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. um but there are there is you know there is further and further to go there are, there are there are um uh further things to sort of unravel in yourself and in in what you've been thinking and what you've been saw and what you've been reading and even that may be wrong. And, and, and you're still sort of coming across these sorts of things. So I don't think it's, it's a thing that you're ever going to get right. And there are different situations as well. But some of the other things might be in that, in that political competence. Um, maybe one of the things that happened to me was I, so I worked in an asylum, first of all. The first job I had was was a uh, um, Middlewood hospital, which was closing down at the time. where were about 200 patients in there. Out of what had been a population of about 2,000, and these people have gradually being decanted into the community, or into, because like they were the last people to come out of there, they're either going to go into some new permanent
2: mm-hmm. um, psychiatric facility,
1: uh, and and those people were extremely institutionalised, and um, uh, you know on the bus into the work. And I was re- re-reading Solzhenitsyn. I was re- re- reading The Day like, like the Life of Ivan Misovic and The Love Girl on the Innocent, and um, I mean, these characters are just the people that I'm meeting in the psychiatric asylum. And what am I doing? What am I doing? What are, what are we doing? Creating a concentration camp in a in a democratic society. What is that about? Um yeah, you know, how, how, how is it that we're just we're just damaging people to that extent. So um and again through through the Federation of Worker Isis, I met people that we would Going by the psychiatric survivors movement in the UK at some point. They sort of galvanized the kind of the direction really, of that of that movement at the time. And and, and that was sort of uh, so yeah, really interesting because I was having all these conversations with people about the survivors movement and, and sort of like fundamentally questioning what I suddenly found that I could do. Yeah, it's that's, that's, that's an occupational therapist. So I think that's yeah, you, know, you just gotta um so part part of it, part of it I think is being prepared to have have the rug pulled from underneath you. Yep. Um there's no there's no sort of uh secure position. Um and um I'm probably I would say sort of taking a, I, I would at the moment I would I, I'd say I'm taking a sort of sort of very primitive sort of perspective on things it means that um you can work around what people are, are doing and saying around you rather than coming on with an ideology which is basically incorrect. Yep.
0: Yep, I I, I don't think a lot, of, uh, not just OTs, I think health professionals in general don't probably do that enough.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think that's... So that that thing that, that Frank and I had come up with, this sort of personal, um, professional and political, that's, I think that's, that's still that, that 3D or 3P archaeology thing. Yep. You know, it, it's a bit of a... It, 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 it's a bit of something we we've dreamed up in the pub, but um, uh, it, it, sort of, it, it sort of still horrible you know, one of, the, one of the things, actually, that, that uh, um, I just really used to workshop about being a poet, which I, I thought I was going to be at one point. And, and um person running the workshop I said, well, how, how much are you going to give up in order to be? A poet? That's a question that I've since used a lot with, with OT students. How much are you going to give up to be the occupational therapist? That you really want to be, you know, what's that going to cost you? Mm.
2: Um,
1: and, uh, and and what are you going to have to take on board in order to be that person? And actually, if you, like as an occupational therapist, you're you've got your you know, your job and your mortgage and your pension and everything else, and the people you work with may not have that set of privileges and opportunities. How can you walk with that person um, and, and and enter their world and? Try and work with them to sort of get some kind of action going in their lives that puts them in a better position Um if you aren't going to sort of put yourself out there a bit.
0: Do you ever find, because a lot of those sort of, uh, I don't know, I would, I would call them a thought experiment if you're sort of proposing this, a, a, an idea like that to another person, but do you ever find with things like even the one you just said then, what are you willing to sort of give up and how can you possibly you know walk with someone who's a very different circumstance to your own? Do you ever get the feeling that it's like, why bother? <laughs> like, like, am I even the right person to be in this profession kind of thing? Because it all, I think, I, I think a lot of that stuff yeah, like, yeah. through mental health, like we have like the recovery model and recovery movement and all that sort of stuff too. And mm. it, it's very much angling towards health being client-driven and then we're getting in, there's a lot more sort of peer support workers and people with lived experience coming in and supporting that process as well. And it's sort of, at times, it's like, well, what am I actually bringing to the table?
1: I think you do have to ask that question. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you, you do have to ask that question. I and mean, um, that is a question that I've asked myself quite a few times in the course of um, working in mental health. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think you know. Um, I think you have to. Uh, uh, we've got to find it. <laughs> we've got to give up. Um, but uh, um, I think you, you know, on the on the other hand, there's this sort of well. Um, I suppose one of the things is is, is I, I did an MA in philosophy, psychiatry, and society, sort of um, two years into qualification. And this was taught from a very anti-psychiatric basis as well. So this is a big influence of the Foucault stuff, you know, that kind of thing. But people still give me their Foucault books that they really can't stand. So I got this stack of Foucault books open, yeah, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, so, but, but I think you know, when you when you when you look at what that's talking about, so how is a profession constructed? How does it construct itself into a profession? How does it find itself a market niche in order to perform the stuff that it's going to practice? Um, and, and how does it define its own practice? How does it actually name its own um, uh, systems of classification and so forth? So all this sort of thing, like a tradition, is constructed out of stuff, and it gives you a, a modus operandi, a set of tools to work with. But in some sense, they're also um, they're real yet they're illusory tools. They're, they're kind of there's a kind of unwritten contract which is about okay, well let's pretend you're the therapist and I'm the patient you know, and, and, and let's work it out that way. Um, so I think, I think you have to be aware that um, fundamentally you're on rocky territory and, and the world could be turned upside down. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've had periods of depression and I've been off work and thought I wouldn't actually ever come back to work at one point um so uh and that's a, that's an interesting experience i mean it's not sort of like having I mean, a sort of full-blown psychotic episode but it's an interesting experience because you really do feel um outside mm. um you know i had uh patients coming up to me in, in the street when i was down the market saying you're all right son you know which is really interesting isn't it your your patient your your patient was well, sort of asking you are you okay yeah that's
0: very much flipped on its head
1: um, yeah yeah uh, and, and yeah well and, and out of concern and, and that's that's uh um that's the point when the when the mask is all the, the 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 sort of <laughs> the, the, the the personality that you're performing in order to be a professional yeah um it's kind of blown covers blown then um and uh, i think that's you know that's that, that's uh, recommending that as an experience for everybody <laughs> I think that's that sort of um, helps you to sort of realise that uh, you know, and I didn't know this actually from 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 the body training was that whereas in some other professions you can kind of, you're going to train as a professional, you're training as a teacher, you know, and and, um, and you might be a student at some point, but you're always going to have that kind of professional status. Yeah. Um, you can't always guarantee that. Where if you're working in in a, in a health setting, that at some point the power is going to be taken from you, and you will be a patient. Yeah.
0: yeah so it's an interesting like i've had very similar experience with depression uh as well and that that was one of the things that when i first when the the first episode i had this massive sort of feeling of guilt because i'm like i'm 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 meant to be helping people with depression like how did how did this happen to me like this is this isn't how it's supposed to how it's supposed to work and exactly the same thing like it's it's flipped on its head and i'm like how did this happen and why didn't i see this coming kind of thing uh, it's it's a very surreal experience and like you said, wouldn't recommend it for everyone, but I feel like it it definitely provided me anyway with, with some insights into uh, some of the people that I work with, um, uh, which went on to be you know, quite useful and uh, essentially useful tools that I could bring up in discussion with people when trying to relate to them or trying to understand their experience of it. Um but yeah it's mm. it's uh it, it it's one of those things I I don't remember a time or how I would have negation negotiated those kinds of situations before I'd had that experience. And the only thing I can think of is probably not very well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well yeah, like I guess it it's it's about it's about you know it's it's, it's inhabiting that same space, doesn't it? Mm. And and being that you actually can inhabit that same space. Um uh, so, I thought that one of the things that, that we did in the OT, in the, it, was, it was sort of like uh, 1989 to 1991, 1988 to 1991, I did the OT diploma. So, we were still doing sort of Freudian um, work and that sort of thing. So, I read a lot of Freud. And, and, and then, subsequently on the MA, a lot of that was about was the about psycho- theory of psychoanalysis and, and that sort of history. Um, so I read a lot of that then, and um, and I found it very useful because it was about sitting with people and being in the same space as them, but not necessarily having to say anything. Be with that person, and then when I eventually had that period of of of, of being depressed, well, I, I, no, I had to actually recognise that I was depressed. I suppose I've been depressed for some time beforehand. Um. uh Well, that was something that that I found really valuable. But I that that stuff uh, kind of helped me to survive it, um, but also it helped me to um feel very relaxed when I was working in uh an assertive outreach team with sort of sitting in people's homes with not a lot actually seeming to go on but probably a lot of cogs worrying you know. Yep. Um uh and a sort of you know just sort of um use that time to sort of pick up on what was actually happening in very sort of small detail, I suppose. Um I don't know. I don't know that um, because the, the other thing about this, deal, you mentioned the recovery model, I and mean, the thing about the recovery model, it's all very well. It's sort of short sharp uh, and, and, and uh, if, you know, let's get people back to being consumers again, you know, basically. Mm. And, uh, and what is not being recognised is actually is the pattern of consumption, which is driving people into these into these positions, you know, because there are so many pressures to do this, that, or the other, buy this, that, or the other, own this, that, or the other. Work in this particular way. Worked all hours of god's sense, and not have any time for yourself. And as a consequence of that, people are driven into situations where they become more mentally or, or less able to recover. Yep. So it's you know there is a, there is an unrecovery style in the in the survival movement, which is about let's actually not medicalize this stuff. Let's look at what the, the social, and economic, and political drivers are, and cultural drivers, uh, and how these these things are. Um, are, are impacting on, on how people think. You know, we were talking. Oh, I was talking earlier on about invisible cultures, mm. and you know, um, so if every day you walk down the street and you don't see anything that you recognise you know belongs to you, as it were, yep. then then that's going to make you feel pretty paranoid. And that experience of depression is is sort of I suppose, part of that sort of thing. You know, you, you, you don't, you've got to make yourself go out, but you don't want to go out because. You think everybody's looking at you and saying they shouldn't be out yeah, yeah. in that state, you know. Um, so, uh, you know uh, so, so you feel highly visible um, and vulnerable, uh, and, and yet you've, you've got to actually go out there and, 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 uh, and deal with whatever comes.
0: Yeah, um, that, otherwise
1: you won't get back into that sense of normality.
0: Well, that's and that that cyclic sort of thought process that you go through in that instance, which. Isn't necessarily the depression itself often it can make things a lot worse than than the diagnosis itself.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember seeing some research at some point, and it was talking mainly about stigma, but saying that I think it was like seventy five percent, roughly, of people said that the stigma associated with a diagnosis was more harmful than the diagnosis itself. And I am like, that was yeah. one of the things that sort of after my experience, I'm like, I can actually relate to that now. It's not just a a statistic on a page. I'm like, yeah, I can feel that. Like I know what that experience is like um, as opposed to just reading the stats and going, Oh, that's high. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, that's it. It's actually being inside that, that, skin, if you like, that sort of puts you, puts you in that, in that situation. I I, I think I, 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 I think, though, on the other hand, that, that when you try and, or at least I, I when I try to use that, that experience, sometimes it sort of relates to some of the people. You, you have to be very careful how you use it because actually you could be handing your weapon. Yeah. To, 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 uh, to um, be very uh, selective. To, to, yeah, you got to be selective about it, yeah.
0: <laughs> so do you, do you think it's possible to, I guess, get to that level of experience without having actually experienced it?
1: I don't know. I suppose, I suppose well, one of the things is, you know, we're looking at the moment that say 30% of the people coming into occupational therapy at the moment have a learning need, at least in the UK, some kind of learning support need. Okay. So that's a high proportion of some of the other, other professions. So I wonder whether we're kind of, you know, there's that, there's that joke about, well, if, if you're going to be a therapist first, you've got to therapise yourself. Um, and I, I suppose there was a lot of, uh, in the training that I had, there was, was a lot, and probably a lot more than we have now, because you do all this sort of group. There's a lot of sort of examination of yourself, um, and uh, so more than just you get in reflective theory, it was an introspective um, uh, sort of experience, which people found very uncomfortable. Yeah, um, it's going to be tears on the, tears on, the, um, on, the uh, on the on the on uh, the beanbags, in you know, Um every week. Um, uh, no, I think that, but, but, but if you took that process seriously, um, then uh, you've got to sort of look at the dark occupational aspect um, within yourself as, 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 as well as those that are uh, those that might be more positive. you know you've got to see that everybody everybody is um, a kind of mixed bag of, of different feelings drives and, and, and emotions. Um, and uh, and that there isn't a, um, ooh, a position for which you can be, um, uh, you know, the, the the unapproachable professional on, a, on, a, on a, putting yourself on a pedestal. Um, uh, and it's very unsafe. I think it's very unsafe to do that. I and mean, I think that's, that's that's kind of like what's required by the. Um, uh, the professional culture sometimes and by the, the managerial culture. I think it's always required by the professional culture, but there's, there's sort of elements of, of, of that in there. Mm. Um, and I, I, I would like that professional culture to be much kinder, actually, um, uh, you know, um, and responsive and responsible um, because, you know, people, people, people could be forgiven some of their, <laughs> their, their transgressions and, and, and probably emerge as better therapists or, or practitioners as a, as a result. Um, you know, there needs to be some sort of uh, some some sort of scope for that. I don't think that it's always a particularly forgiving environment to work in. Uh, mental health is particularly harsh to work in, mm. actually. Um, uh, it depends, but it depends where you are. Um, you know, I was lucky in the, the team I work with in Doncaster. Everybody had each other's backs. We were. You know, we looked after each other, um, and uh, and it was a pretty good working experience because you knew that, you know, um, you could phone somebody up and say, "Look, I've, I've got this to deal with," and, and you know, how do I interpret this? And somebody would be able to say, "Yeah, okay, well, this is what you do," you know, mm. or, or or yeah, that's really, that's really useful to know, you know, um, and that was from the psychiatrist kind of down. So so it was, it was a it was a um, very helpful. Environment's working, yeah, they're definitely not all like that. Patient, patient <laughs> interest, yeah, and they're, and they're definitely not all like that, <laughs> yeah. Um, so once you start getting worried about the insecurities, um, of uh, you know, um, there's going to be an investigation, we don't get this right, and, and you know, uh, I've got to get all this paperwork building, um, and then we don't look at that detail anymore, and, and that's unfortunate.
0: I did, I, ha- I have wondered in my sort of clinical career because one thing that always ticks me off here and I'm sure it's the same in, in many other places is I don't think we had any KPIs that we had to hit that had anything to do with client satisfaction or the client actually feeling like they'd made any progress and then the I guess flow-on effect of that is we're then trying to work to a standard that's got nothing to do with client satisfaction or client goal setting or client improvement so Mm. uh we could come out of the best ot program in the world being the most amazing client-centered you know therapist ever made and we're going into a system that even if it's not immediate after sitting in that system and operating within those constraints for however many years we gradually get just like a you know we gradually get shaped, we get conformed to the shape of the, the, the bowl that we're in kind of thing. Um, mm. I don't know if you've found that over there as well. That's just, just a, I guess something that I'd kind of reflected on, uh, towards the end of my clinical work. I
1: think, I think, well, yeah, I mean, so I left that about 17, 18 years ago. Um, and, uh, there have been some changes, I suppose, in the, in the UK system since then. So um, we have the National Health Service, uh, which did have, I mean, about 1998, suddenly had a sort of cash injection it having been a sort of Cinderella service for many years um, under the, the new Labour government for a while. And that was the time around which our Assertive Outreach Group actually formed. But then there were more and more austerity cuts coming back in. I think what we were able to do then um, is, is much more... Restricted in, in terms of practice now, and it's, it's much more much more governed to these sort of these sort of processes. You know, that's the illusion of, of recovery, the um, uh, uh, the the idea that you can give people twelve week programs in this that or the other, and you know, um maybe if people are long term psychiatric patients, they shouldn't be given rehabilitation at all because they're never going to get back into the community. So why bother with them? Let's just look at maintaining mean, long term I've heard that, uh, that that notion as well. Mm. Um, which I think is obscene, actually. I think I think that um, uh, uh, if you work with people, then you find that the, the, the poverty of opportunity is so extreme that um, uh, people need to get out into the woods and kick leaves around, and they, they need to make things. They need to, to have a walk and enjoy nature, and they need to maybe have a go at riding a bike or fishing or whatever it might be. But just, just just makes life human, you know. All, all that stuff is really important. Um, so uh, the, the sort of the, the turning of the health system into some kind of car factory or or sort of Burger King chain is is something that I think is is, is just disgusting. Um, uh, and we're not quite at the point where um, you know if you, if you look at if you look at uh, pre-revolutionary. Cuba and how the psychiatric system was running there, which, you know, which really wasn't, you know, um hellhole, basically. Or yeah. in Brazil, you know, um, then, then uh, um, certainly not in that in that kind of situation. But we're in a situation where we're trying to we're trying to contain people. So I think this idea of, of Foucault as a sort of surveillance and controlling is quite an important one. And, and a lot of what we're trying to do is is still the same role. That occupational therapy or in any any other allied health professionals had in their inception, which is we're trying to protect the middle class people from the effects of all the poor people and the contamination that goes with that. You know, they could be um, black Irish, you know, and um, various diseases that we don't want to know about, is And they might be your servants in your house, but you don't you don't want to be consulted with, them. Mm. and and, uh, and that kind of that kind of thing. And that's the kind of role that, that we still seem to have. But it, it's dressed up in in more benign ways, and so we're in this sort of you know there is still this pyramid cake, the capital is pyramid cake, and there are the workers, and then there are us alongside the policemen, the priests, and the teachers, sort of managing the system on behalf of the elites, and sort of saying here's a here's an aid and in an that to keep you sweet for a bit, and um, you know um, and 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 that's the the kind of role that we've got, soft police as so I keep saying to, to my students you have less the working classes and you've become one of the soft police now so this is your this is your, your role as a sort of functionary. but within that and certainly I think it's, it's true within the state system but it might not be so true within a, a privatised system there is still room to manoeuvre you can still go to say the most obstreperous child nurse who's very security focused and say okay now this guy would like to do some, some cooking in the kitchen now you know, I appreciate you don't want him around knives or anything like that. So what have we got to do to make it possible mm. for me to work with this guy and you'd be happy about the security of that and the security of other patients and the security of staff and him to actually get to do some cooking? What is it going to take? What? Are we, what how can we work that out? So what have I got to do to satisfy you that we can work with this guy? Well, it's not always possible, but that was kind of thing that, I, I realised that I had to do to get to work with people was to kind of assuage a- a- that, because that child nurse has got a job to do, and the job is to maintain everybody's safety. Yeah, yeah, you know, primarily. Otherwise, there's an inquiry and the, the rest of it, and there, there aren't enough staff to go around and everything else. So, any opportunity you create could set a person for something else. You've got to be aware of that sort of um, that institutional framework, which is forced upon everybody. But well, there still over time. You can find that there are there are niches, and that mm. there are people who say, let's, "Let's see if we can do that. Let's see if we can wangle that. Let's see if we can pull that off. You know, it would be great if we could do that." And then you get everybody on side, so and you're all working to that, that that same goal. A bit of mischief, if you like, but it's it's sanctioned, it's sanctioned mischief. Sanctioned
0: mischief, I like it. And,
1: you know, and and, um, and so you can. That's, this is this bit for, uh, you know, That's that's I think who it is actually. Um, between them, I mean. sorry, no, not between them. Um, well, I've had it a bit. <laughs> it later my but that's that's um, uh, yeah. It's 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 the guy I wrote about Rabelais. whose name, I can't forget. I can't remember at the top of my head. Um, it's he sort of talking about sort of you know, and, and, and having a sort of space in which to do things, space, a bit of manoeuvre. And I think that's something that occupational therapists are often trying to do. So is this great book by Estelle Brains, which is about, um, uh, kind of creative. And occupational therapy. She's writing about one of the things he writes about is, is baking scones. So, you know, you're baking scones in, 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 in a kitchen all mercy stuff. So, oh, what a cushy number you've got doing, you know, baking scones. And you know, wish I could do that kind of with my whole job, you know, jumping yeah. on people and yeah. you know, holding we've, them down. We've all heard that and, one before. About. Uh, and you know, uh, and, but quite the point of baking scones is it's, it's yes, it is a bit like the reason that food markets have bakers in them is that people sort of drifting off the car park and spend twice as much money. But the other thing is, is is that it's a space in which people can have conversations and just be human. And actually that's much more important. Occupational performance, if that's what you want to call it. Being human is much more much yeah. more important than whether you've made the cake right, you know. Yeah. Um and just having a bit of fun, you know. Or is psych like psychiatry when Putting the fun in dysfunctional, you know that 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 kind of <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh, wow. that's really that's really important. I, I think I think for, for me, in terms of my my practice, when well, I was practicing, but trying to find those elements of fun um, were were crucial to that thing of engagement and rapport, and you know, being able to to get on with people. That's much more important than all the other stuff. Mm. And yes, you can fill out an assessment sheet, but half the time when you're filling out a hospital with anxiety. Uh, depression scale. You've got a patient on the other end of that who's trying to work out how do I get more medication. So I just give you the answer that says I'm most depressed you could possibly imagine. You know, and it's quite easy to do that. You can spend three visits doing a, 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 a psychosis scale, and the patient doesn't have to be particularly intelligent to realise that if I give the worst possible answer every time, yeah, then I'm going to get more medication. If that's if that's what the institutionalised process has led them to believe is going to make them better, yeah, 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 yeah. then then that's where you're going to be. Um, And and uh, so having some sort of other other roots in there, which is which is knowing the person as a as a human being to some extent, um, as far as you're allowed to, and still be a professional, yeah, yeah. Um, is, is, is 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 quite important, you know, because you're still going to have to make you're still going to have to make hard decisions at some point. Yeah. I, a few years ago, I interviewed people for uh, uh, who were working at a, um, a community group thing here in Sheffield. And they, they, they told me their experiences of being in the psychiatric system for 30 years. Like one of them had been misdiagnosed for 30 years. And he had some very dangerous ideas. You wouldn't want to live next door to him if he was still in the community. But he'd been misdiagnosed, and so he hadn't had the, the appropriate help he'd had. Uh, and the other guy had been through every possible therapy you can think of in a in a thirty year period, none of which had been concluded with him. So it would all been a complete waste of time. And actually, he was much happier doing being part of a gardening project, where at least you just get on and do some stuff mm. that meant something to him. And I think that's that's sort of really pretty important when you think about you know. Um, how we how we do administer those systems and conduct those assessments and, and all the rest of it we all think they're very important because they're the things that justify our professional position <laughs> but at the end of the day probably what is most useful and this goes back to the, the sort of comparative stuff but, but we, you can read about different experiences of with psychosis without without sort of romanticizing the, the experience of people in mediterranean countries who, who end up Sending goats on the, the, in, in the field and, and talking to their psychosis all the way along, being reasonably well-adjusted members of the community the rest of the time. Mm. That kind of thing of having stuff to do that means something to you, which is something that the the older asylum patients used to say to to me all the time. You know, long you know, not so long ago, this used to have a farm. We used to make concrete blocks. We used to wash cars. We used to do things in the industrial therapy unit. We had stuff to do, and now we're stuck in this community home. You know. Where there's nothing, there's no garden, there's no space. You just go out for a fag, of, you know, and, and, and that's it. And that is what is wrong, basically. Mm. That while it's wrong to, sequ- to, to sequester people from the rest of society and then people don't have some element of eccentricity or or madness in their, their everyday lives, that many of the people who who were in there should never have been there anyway. Um, and and uh, you know, but on the other hand, what people want is some convivial experience of being in the community.
0: Yeah.
1: And being recognized and valued for, for doing whatever it is that they do. for
0: Participating, yeah. Participating mm. in, in yeah. normal societal activities, which everyone else probably doesn't, doesn't might think twice be about.
1: Working, yeah. It might not be working two shifts a, a, a day trying to keep pay the rent. Yeah. It might be um, just, just being whoever you are.
0: Yeah, I I find it interesting too with the what you were saying before about trying to find the um, the little bits of fun uh, in, in no matter what sort of systemic rules you're trying to to run a work under um, because I feel like when a lot of I know a lot of therapists that will deny being political oh, I don't I'm not political I don't I'm not political I'm not political but I feel like advocating for even those little things within a certain system within a set of rules is being political like that's you can't afford it you're working within a system especially if you're working for a big organization or a government health service then negotiating to be able to do anything within that system whether you want to call it or not it's that's part of being political i feel like most people when they just hear that word think of you know, the the federal government and politicians and that sort of thing, when it's not just that, like, yes, that's sort of a, a macro level thing that you need to take into account, because those policies are going to have an impact on you and the people you work with and where you work and that sort of stuff. But there's also that sort of day to day on the ground level of political advocacy that most OTs do without actually thinking about it. But it seems that just the word political is sort of I don't know. It's been poo pooed, and nobody wants to sort of look at it as that. They'll find another word to call it that, just so they don't have to say the word political.
1: Yes, it's very bad taste to mention politics at the dinner table, I mean. yeah. <laughs> But um, you know, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's like it's back to these human scale development values. So um, so so, you know, you can find this really easily. But I mean, he, he talks about you know one of the fundamental thing is just of course having a place to be. Having a space in which to be, mm. you know, um, and, and he has his sort of there are sort of sixteen different sets of values, but there are you Now, having fun is one of them, actually, and, and um, uh, you know, having parties and having, having having that kind of that kind of um, freedom of expression and and and, and moments of levity um, uh, are really important. And you know, even if we are very able to life have the moments when you're, you've got to be able to recognise it for what it is some of the time um, and, and, and uh, you know, have a sense of humour. I, I think the fundamental, fundamental thing is, you know, yeah, we're talking about politics, but it's yep. the right to have a sense of humour. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not actually that right. It's just recognising those moments, you know, for um, for what they are and, and, and being able to, to say, you know, okay, well, Let's just have five minutes to have I mean, one of the things that's just, yeah, the essential thing, I think, for, for, for occupational is, is, is the essential tool is, is a cup of tea or the equivalent thereof. Because in that space of having a cup of tea, which lasts about 20 minutes, you've got this is a sort of, this is, comes from Winnicott, with really, the idea of a sort of creative space. Yep. You've got a cup of tea. Nothing can happen for 20 minutes. We're going to have a cup of tea. We're going to sit down and just chew the fat and see what comes up. Hmm. And that's a, you know, you can, it's a, it's a, from an outside point of view, anybody's seeing two people sitting down having a cup of tea, they're doing something fairly normal. You know, it's not, it's not unusual to see two people having a cup of tea. Yep. So you can be anywhere doing that. You can, you can, you can take that space with you anywhere and, and just have that time of just, just having a chat about where things are. Maybe that's, that's what it takes. Now, of course, it's hardly a scientific instrument that's going to, it's going to be something that you can build a profession around. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the key skills. T therapy. The key skill for any health professional to be able to do that. But a lot of people just do not have the time. Yeah. go into their into, into their job role to be able to do that. And and you know, if you've got a mental clipboard, you can do all the sort of things like filling out a moho interest checklist or, or whatever else it might it might be in your head yeah, yeah. through that, that conversation. Just write it down afterwards. Yep. You know. Um but it's important to actually have that kind of connection with somebody. So, you can, well, one of the tools I used to use was the flea market in Doncaster. So, on a Wednesday, there was a, a flea market in Doncaster. It used to be quite good. It's a bit, well, It's just, It hasn't happened with COVID, but before COVID, it was, it was, it was going a bit downhill. Yep. But you've got a load of stalls. It's quite a big marketplace. There's second hand booked, record a brac, all kinds of things. And you could take a group of patients around there and you could just see who was interested in what. And people might say things like, oh, we used to have one My grandma used to have one of or you know, they pick something up that's a bit grabby, or maybe they wouldn't, or they're a bit of with a storeholder. Now, if they can do that, then there are things that you can pick up from. Aren't they a bit reluctant to touch anything on the stalls because they're a bit grabby? Maybe there's something there to think about. Hmm. So you're, you're and you, there's so many things that would engage people in terms of, hooked on this, that, yeah, the other, or true. objects, or cameras, or whatever it might be. And um and that was quite useful. And then have a cup of tea and a up to TK afterwards or something and, and, and sort of talk about it and go back, back, back home again. So that 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 whole thing was really useful and probably much more valuable, I think, than sort of sitting there with, a, with an assessment sheet, thinking of yeah. boxes, things that probably wouldn't be categorised in that way anyway. Yeah, and
0: so that's, that was a, that's something, something I've, I've, experienced with on. I've experienced similar. I've experienced similar. Like I've had quite a lot of clients that, you know, you used to meet them at coffee shops for – to have a chat or a check-in if you're only catching up with them every couple of weeks. And like you said, there's nothing sort of standout-ish about two people sitting in a coffee shop having a coffee. Uh, and I, I I, was very similar. I don't, I had never, I don't think I've ever used a, a clipboard, but I know plenty of therapists that did. Um, but I used to hate, I mean, I still hate paper. I like being paperless anyway, but I used to hate, you know, having to bring in assessment. I don't take notes. When, like, during the session, mm-hmm. my memory's relatively good most of the time. <laughs> um, so you'd you'd have an assessment and I'd have... If there was something specific that I was looking for, then, yeah, you, you're going to know and you can write it down after or, like, uh, sort of, I don't know, I'd call it more of an open-ended experience where it's more of an observation thing where you're picking up little things and... Uh, for that reason, I was actually speaking to a, a, I was doing another one of these last night actually with another guy from the UK and his description of it was uh, in those instances, it's almost like you're, you're somewhat of a detective. He felt like a detective because you're making these observations, and I think it's a very Sherlock type thing. You make these observations and you draw these conclusions, but then unlike him, unlike Sherlock he just sort of makes his conclusions for us, that's that's the time to start the conversation, as opposed to this is the conclusion of it, so you'd make these sort of idea have these ideas like you said about the person who might might or might not touch something that's grubby, and that's a conversation starter, and you can explore that with them as to why or you know when did that develop or if that's new or whatever um, but it's those sort of little conversation starters that I feel i uh, I feel o t s need to be better at. <laughs> And actually identifying them?
1: Well, I guess it goes back to what we were saying earlier about narratives, really. So, one of the key things about narratives, about, you know, like AJ Face's narrative, so AJ Face is a witness to Australian history, He's a witness from the um, the, the sort of the pioneer age mm-hmm. through to the modern era. So, that's why that's a um, totally absorbing book, really. And um, that kind, of, that kind of thing in, in, in working-class writing is really important. So that you have sense of being wit- a witness to experience, witness to your own experience is, is, is really important. So there's a thing about authenticity in there. And sort of the, take the Sherlock Holmes thing. Um, so the problem with Sherlock Holmes-style library murder-type um, genre in, in detective fiction is it's inauthentic. Mm. It relies entirely on Sherlock Holmes' esoteric no- knowledge of this, that, or the other, um, which is not revealed to the reader. But, in a sort of more hard-boiled, authentic um, detective fiction, then all the clues are there,
2: mm.
1: and you've got to you've got to put them up together. You've been told the clues, um, and 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 you just got to put them together in the in in the right thing. Oh, that thing that I was showing at that, that moment was actually the significant moment. Yep. And um, so so yeah, there's so so <laughs> um, I'm sort of driving at one of the things that that, that I. What we put into uh, the first O.T. that Borders was 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 referring to Raymond Chandler's *Simple Art of Murder* because that's that's again that's sort of the idea of the O.T. as a strong policeman down these mean streets a man must go is not himself mean and you've got to be the sort of white knight figure sort of going down the the the, the, the and neither stepping to the left or to the right or you know because the evil is on both sides if yep. you like um, and, and 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 sort of trying to steer a clear path through that and, and taking it all in. Um, and and trying not to be affected by what you're seeing in order to be able to preserve that that um, uh, of reaching out to people because you can't once you've stepped off that line you can't do that yeah uh, and I think that's that's so that, I think that's that sort of there is that kind of that, that kind of thing in there but it still comes down to um, reaching for the or trying to obtain or put together or assemble. Um, the story, not your story, of what the person's telling you, but the story that they want you to know. Yep. That you know, that is, you know, the story that want you to know might not actually be the, the story that is, yeah, but, yeah, as well. But, but yeah, you know, you've got to try and find out what with that. Person. But I think that that comes. I mean, you know, we've both got a, a, an interest in long term cash. So in many other situations, you haven't got that that uh, luxury of maybe spending, you know, months and months and months seeing the same person and winkling out a piece at a time. Yeah. You know, um, uh, sometimes you just got to do it in five minutes.
0: But I think, I think, and this is something we, I talked about with the the guy last night as well, I think in, because he was similar, he was, again, he worked in psychiatry, he had that, that privilege of being able to spend a lot of time with the people he worked with, um, and we both sort of came to the conclusion that it's the same for, for those that are, uh, I would say, I don't know, time poor, however you want to say it, on a, on a deadline, it's the same communication skill set that they need, but they need to – they're probably not looking for the depth, but they might be looking for the breadth of information. Um, but they need to – If in some instances, I feel like the, the skill set needs to be even better because they have to try and do it in a much shorter time period. Which is where I think sometimes that that observation of, um, you know, even if you haven't started working with that person but you've observed them doing some stuff around the ward so you've got an idea of, you know, how they move, safety, whatever it is that you're looking for. Like any observations that you've been able to make up until that point is also going to help with the information gathering that you're able to do. And you might find or might have observed some things, um, you know, how they manage with someone screaming next to them that kind of stuff that you could then explore when it actually comes time to to see them and have a conversation like i feel like Mm -hmm. even when in those time poor situations because i have had i've had therapists i can't do that i don't have enough time i can't do that i'm like well you have to do that what else you can do like you're working Mm -hmm. with you're working with a person you still need to treat a person and just because you don't have time doesn't make them a different person to Someone that I might see because I do have time. Like there's still people.
1: Well, yeah, I, I guess some of these things. It's like one of the what problems, like you know, um, well, well I, I, many communities got this this issue anyway. We're, we're living in very diverse communities, um, and uh, um, you come across people in the, in the psychiatric system who um, whose first language is not English. It's Finnish or. You know something pretty obscure, yeah, and, and that should be obscure in Europe, but it is actually. Um, so, you know, very hard to find somebody in in Yorkshire who would speak Finnish, um, who could then give you uh an insider detail on what person what a person is thinking and how they're thinking, which is it's more than just being able to translate. You know, it's 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 being able to sort of gauge up what's gauge what's being said from, a, from a, a sort of professionally intuitive sort of perspective. And that means that that person cannot get a service from you. So you know, I mean, I had this. I went to see somebody armed with a armed with a, with, with an English-Finnish phrase book, um, <laughs> trying to do an assessment because there was no other no other way of doing it.
2: Yeah,
1: no. uh, and it was, it, it, was a, it was a totally bizarre and surreal experience, but 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 very distressing. Um, in 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 that you know, I think for that that person, I, mean, we, 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 I was there for an hour. She was a bit confused. About while I was there, she was well confused anyway, um, and uh, and the result was predictable. It was going to be confusing unless, unless we could actually get hold of somebody who could speak Finnish. And, and that's some of the some of the thing that we have to do in in a in, in, a, in a wider clinical sense. In that in that it's all real well. We, we, when our students, for example, we're, we're doing um, modules which um, uh, have a public health focus and. Social determinants of health, the sort of wider social determinants of health. Yeah, you know, we've got things like the Marmot report. So you know, the spirit level. Those researchers sort of continue doing doing reports in, into um, the state of the UK about the extent of of the inequity in in, in health. Um, and it's being able to imagine those wider social circumstances. And I found even even myself, even though I spent a year on the dole and I spent a lot of time around people who were similarly in. Periods of, of, of chronic unemployment, where you know alternative economies evolved, and, and and so on. Um, uh, I still found it quite astonishing to see the scale of the poverty that you could find in, um, in, in just down the road from where I live in in in, in South Yorkshire in North Nottinghamshire, um, and, and, and and how people were were, were surviving. Um, you know. Um, I just hadn't imagined that people would be living in circumstances that were pretty close to what you might imagine in the, the other side of the globe, you know? Um, So uh, when there are those things going on, then that is, that's political. It radicalizes you just just sort of, you know, sort of seeing that kind of thing. And, And everybody who's a health professional is in the position to sort of see that, but you have to imagine that that's, you know, you, you can't always imagine where people are coming from because you're seeing them in hospital. But you have to kind of imagine the possibilities that, that might exist for those people. Yep. What it might mean to go, like why in fact they might not want to go, home. Um, and um, uh, what kind of what is going to be there for those people when they get back into their their, their, their sort of home environment? And how they how they're going to subsist or exist, you know, in, in those sessions thereafter, and it's a struggle. People, mm. you know, for a lot of people, it's it's it's, it's the real story. It's, it's not for everybody, but it is, it is for a lot of people. um And it can be equally I mean, like some of the students were, were using uh, one of the student case studies a couple of years ago was, was uh, uh, young people in Walsall, uh, which is quite an affluent area of the UK. And because of the amount of isolation that young people experience behind all their electric gates and you know sort of post schools, I mean, there's a massive drug problem. Yeah. So these are things are impoverished lives, which in, in the midst of a lot of affluence, um, where that situation has evolved before people have had time to recognise that there is an issue, yeah, and, and try and address it and do something about it. So it's more than just a political issue; it's 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 about the way that society develops and is able to take account of itself, and. That we do as occupational therapists or as any other health professional is is part of the sort of tinkering on the surface of that, but we're not in, we're not in control, mm. unfortunately. And yep. um, I have, if there could be a pipeline through the various managerial systems that are trying to sort of uh, you know manage risk and account for money, um, to, to, to recognising that some of these issues cannot be easily researched. Can't be turned around in a year. Can't be this or that financial outcome. And actually, you have to look to sort of longer-term strategic, longer-term social goals, like the Millennium Development Goals. And um, then you know nothing is going to change that inequity. Yeah. But because we're because we're about doing being becoming and belonging, we're one of those sort of key professions, I think, to um, to sort of talk about that kind of thing. On the other hand. You know, when you look at at, at survivors' movement and disability movements, then there's some pretty scathing stuff about
2: <laughs> yeah we, limitations,
1: and it's about that those, those you know those those, those limitations about like what we're prepared to get involved with, and, and actually how it doesn't necessarily relate to a cultural meaningful experience of um, living an life with disability and all that that may that may involve.
0: One of the one of the questions that I got asked around from one of the listeners to, to bring up with you is around some of the writing you've done around uh sexuality sexual mm. just sex in general and ot's uh, uh, and i'm not sure your take whether it was a lack of knowledge around it or a lack of willingness to actually bring it up with people are you able to just talk to that a little bit i think yeah well that's
1: yeah i'm I, 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 so. One of the people that I worked with um, was uh, a patient who was who would be described as, as very promiscuous, and I discussed this with her, and she rushed. And one, on the other hand, you think, well, actually, um, there is a whole layer stuff just the way through in terms of what that may or may not justify and how that might help. But she had a point actually.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well. And, um, and that was a, a time where the size of the, you know, if you, you may, so lots, lots of, lots of, uh, where you can engage in all kinds of private activities without fear of being disturbed. So that kind of thing is sort of, you know, Goffman's writing about this kind of thing, for example. Um, And that is going to naturally occur where you've got people in a large institution. Um, People should be able to have relationships and decide uh, how we're going to have relationships. It's up to them, really, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, And I suppose that, uh, on the other hand, um, there is also the process of, you know, well, if you've heard this kind of stuff, then you have to record it in case it's significant, in case some other patients act upon it or do this or or the other you know, indicates all these other things. So then you're in a in a sort of prurient kind of um, uh, uh, you're, you're, you know you're, you're kind of almost policing this kind of stuff
2: yeah, at the same yeah. time.
1: At the same time, all these instances are part of the problems that people have. So you know, the things that kind of set people off very often are um, their ability or inability to, to to handle the relationships they're they're involved in. Um, so. Uh, Even this, but the, I suppose what was interesting was that even to discuss that, I felt that actually I'm this is this is getting into pretty hot water because the sort of the the the, the, the sort of standard advice like, was don't don't go there, no. yeah yeah um, yeah, don't don't get involved in finding out what that's about. But then it's you know it's going on and everybody yeah. knows it's going on. All the tittle tattle around the psychiatric is that this this stuff is going on all the and 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 that part of the that's part of the, the, the institutional framework. There is no way of properly um, managing, facilitating, or containing that, except perhaps to turn a blind eye. Otherwise, it gets, you, you end up having to know what you don't really want to want to have to know. Yeah. Um, at the same time, um, it's something that is an occupational element that we, if we're gonna, if we're holistic in the full sense of you know um, having a, a whole perspective, then. All the aspects of human life have to have to have to be accounted for, and we have to be kind of um, uh, much broader in our understanding. So the limitations of what we teach people as occupational yeah. therapists are, we don't really we don't really deal with um, all the dimensions of culture that actually are invested in doing, being, becoming, and belonging. We don't deal with any of that. We don't deal with any of its significance. We don't try and appreciate it in any way. Uh, we just turn it into a craft activity, which is a modality you can use with elderly people. And, yeah. and so we reduce it to content and then we then we get surprised when you know you do an oral history project with somebody and they, they start talking about I don't know let's say the the, the, um, the black economy during the war that's you know all the sort of uh, stuff that was going on where if you could slip a, slip somebody around through and so on this'll be selling horse on the side and that kind of thing and there'll be, be all kinds of exchanges taking place. In order to obtain those black market goods. Yeah, yeah. So and then, then you then you start because then you're starting to sort of get into the local tittle tattle and you could you could then kick off um, some heated discussion between people based on the memories of what was going on seventy years ago and be surprised by it. Um, but that's that sort of that's gonna happen at some point when you start getting into any kind of community project, you know. Like that as a basis of being involved in 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 something that you might set up as an occupational therapist to meet some of these sort of wider social issues of of of, of health. Let's talk about culture. Let's talk about this sort of stuff. All these things are really difficult. And um, in the community publishing, because we we're talking about asserting a working class culture, that was um, uh, um. So you know, we were we were talking about black and white. We were talking about. Um, um colonialism and its, its consequences and, and how we felt about it with we different kinds of sexuality we were talking about women's rights we were talking about how men talk about women we were talking about vernacular language mm-hmm. and working through geography terms and all the rest of it and you know and people were most of the time um, able to shake hands and go for a drink afterwards you know uh, not every time yeah yeah um, and and and, and, um, and that's, a, that's a thing that people have got to work out, in a way, um, in order to be able to live together, yeah. in order to be able to maintain the same kind of broad general goals. Or or they don't. They decide they're going to actually, they need to separate off and discover where they're coming from in the first place. And that is the gist of it as well. Some people have to, sometimes you've got to do that in order to recognise where your power might actually come from. Mm. Um so it's 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 sort of taking a you know, a fully focused piece of look at look at life. And we're looking at, at life as a narrative, life as a trajectory and it involves lots of other things. We can't pick and choose that path through it mm. because all these factors um are part of the sort of quick wires that, that 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 make us into, in, into who we are. So we've tended to, in the, the the literature to sort of think of occupation as being a generally benign thing, but it isn't. You know, it's not. It involves a lot of competition. It involves a lot of um, uh, doing things to other people or pulling a fast one or or um, jumping in an opportune way when somebody else might be more hesitant, taking advantage of situations. Um, playing the game in, yeah. in, in some ways. And, um, and, and that involves a lot of different things that, 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 that are going on. So it's not possible that Extricate just some bits that we like to deal with, and not take full account of some of the other bits. Well, so the then bits you, you can't get all that into a three-year. You can't get it into a three-year degree program. Yeah, yeah. you know we we're, we're practically a year of taking out replacements. Yeah, you know, so so some of that's got to got to come from from life, and I, I think that's something that we're we kind of battling with. We're battling with, I think, the professional culture from the you know the early session of the profession where we um, uh, were looking to recruit. Uh, a particular kind of person to become an occupational therapist, who's worked with people in in in, 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 in within a, uh, a narrow frame of middle class respectability. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 that denies many things, I suppose. It denies many 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 realities that that all of us as occupational therapists have actually come up against. And then we might come up against them. But then there's there's like, where can you take that to? Because the other thing you've got is, you've got is you're working in an establishment which is about managing risk fundamentally and there are things that we're not going to go into because once we get into that mess, then we can't get we can't backtrack out of it. So there are necessary there is I think we've got to be aware of these things. We can't they don't necessarily have to sort of act on everything that we we, we, we see or hear if it's yeah, not yep. going to be sufficient and it's better to draw a discrete veil over it. But I think we've got to be kind of um We've got to account for it in, in the underpinning theory.
0: Yeah, yep. Yeah. Because it's not in most in the, theories. The not in even... So, we're going to talk about occupational justice and all that sort of thing. We're going to talk about occupational justice, you know,
1: which is p- part of understanding it. Then, then we, we actually need to relate occupational justice to a broader sense of what social justice is and whether occupational justice is um, uh, a contribution to understanding social justice. Or whether it's just some obfuscating term that we can use and nobody else can because we're going to colonize a whole load of ideas, professionalize them by sticking occupational in front of them, yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then they become incomprehensible to anybody else.
2: I um, and I
1: think that's, that's something that we really need to address, actually. Yep. That, that's something we've got, to, we've got to take on board. It's like, okay, we're throwing these concepts around. What do they mean? What are they based in? What's their significance? You know, where do they, how, 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 do they, how do they? develop anything? If you are going to have a conversation with our other professionals in the professionals in the allied health workplace, or or people working in communities who might be community arts workers or people who are um, in the the, the, the the you know the local administration who are have got funds that we might want to work in sort of some kind of community project, or or we're going to look at the sort of broader health issues, then we've got to talk similar language. Hmm. And use similar terms because you know, while we've got we're under the sort of medical dominance of, 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 of using medical terms for everything, um, and we need to resist that because we, we need to be saying, well, some of these things have much wider causes than, than that. We need to be using terms that everybody else can understand. So, pulling off our own vocabulary, um, enables us to justify ourselves as a profession, but it actually makes it quite hard
0: to understand, it also isolates us.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I, think, I think we can't afford that. So, so sex is one of those areas where, um, where uh, you know, we ought to explore what that is about because that's one of the bones of contention for the disability movement, for example. is yep. like, you know, well, you can do all this sort of stuff to get us back to normal life. That doesn't mean having a normal relationship or having a, a relationship which mm. is normal. Uh, you know, not a normal relationship, but a relationship which is, which is normal for most people to expect um to to have it other people. So um so that means taking a, a long hard look at what that might entail. And and if we're not going to do that then who will?
0: Yeah, yep. It's so one of the things that's always bugged me right and I initially I could never work out why was the whole uh categorisation of occupation. So you got your work rest, leisure, all that sort of stuff, productivity, leisure. And I could never work out why, and I kind of started trying to think about it more in later years after I read some of uh, Hamill's work around looking at engagement rather than these categories of occupation. And I feel like now I can sort of reflect on that and go, I feel like I probably was more drawn to that because it sits better in the individual's narrative. It's not me necessarily saying, oh, that's a productivity occupation like this this is the little box that my profession's created to to fit you in whereas I'm I I don't know what it is until I actually explore with the person so I I feel like again and I've done a a podcast with with um, another lady who sort of specializes in sex and sexuality and that sort of stuff and that was her uh, I guess key takeaway from that as well is that therapists need to explore what it is with people as uncomfortable as that might make us in our white middle class westernized you know ideals yeah. around sex and sexuality for the people that are experiencing it or experiencing a deprivation of that due to illness injury whatever it is they don't give a shit if we're uncomfortable they just want to get back to what they they want to do and mm. that's that's the job we signed up for <laughs> and then, yeah. and now we're sort of Resisting it because it makes us uncomfortable. And I, I don't know whether or not that's something that. I guess I always wondered whether or not that was a thing that the profession itself struggled with, or whether it was just like uh, more broadly, like a, a westernized culture thing that just m- most of the profession that I know anyway tends to sit within that kind of created that barrier to us actually addressing. Uncomfortable topics like that.
1: Well, I think yeah, I, mean, I think you're right. I mean, it's it's maybe it's a, it's, it's a broader Western thing, um, and uh, um, if we had come, if we, if, if it, 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 it's yeah, it's a broader Western thing, and it's also about I suppose it's it's about what you can what you can you can, you can write about at the time when the profession first started mm. so that, 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 there's a kind of legacy isn't there from yeah, sort of yeah. That, and the legacy it's a focus it's a sort of the historic legacy that the, the professionals have sort of developed over 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 100 years and um and some of that is challenged um so if you look at some of the stuff that's coming out of south america there's this sort of um uh a lot of a lot of challenge going on in in, in Brazilian occupational therapy in terms of um, uh, gender identities and and, uh, uh, and stuff like that. Perhaps it's because that's coming now from a, a very different place. Yeah. That um, uh, people have kind of got over the um, the westernness and then are uh, uh, trying to develop a um, uh, a consciousness of occupation of occupational therapy yeah. um, that is much more relevant to. Um, through uh local experiences so it's 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 how you how you re-occupational therapy from the from the the boots up and maybe because practice is less defined in a medical context because actually that is weaker within the kind of structures that are out there yeah um you can actually find room to be an occupational therapist working in a variety of different fields around Around people's needs because there isn't anything else. Yep. Or um, the Sensor says, you know, well, the first thing we teach our students is it, it, it's an emergency. <laughs> you know, we don't wait for three years to come around to the social determinants of health. Let's start start with that in, in year one, and um, uh, and I as a that's a pretty useful way of, of, of thinking about it. And you know, there is a. Uh, We've, we talked about this. It, it, was, a sort of, uh, it, it was um Gil Garcia who's from Columbia who uh, was using this in a, in a, in a, in a, in one of her chapters is there's this uh cartoon character called Malfather who um has a uh the music logo. she turns it upside down so South America is actually more proper globe <laughs> and, stands yeah, back to so "That's right you know. so so you can kind of, if, you, if you take that sort of bot, that, that sort of perspective of inverting the the the, um, the reality to reinvest reality um then um uh, you've got to scope to do that and that might seem sort of like you know stepping all around the house who actually deal with that but these are these are fundamental issues of what it is to be human, hmm. which is what we're concerned with And, you know and we're concerned with doing stuff and it's doing stuff that makes us human. so that means everything. Um, and, and uh, well, that might mean that um within the limited sense of operating as an occupational therapist in a defined profession, in a defined institutions, with defined roles that are defined by the market for health practices, um, then there's gonna be many, many invisibilities and many things that are not included in the, the remit.
0: Yeah. It's even now 15 years out or whatever I am now, like you're still only just learning like how broad this, how deep this rabbit hole goes. (laughs) (laughs) One last question that I do want to ask you because I've taken up far too much of your time already. And I want to ask this because it was also a question that I asked Gail uh, when I did the episode with her. Given your perspective, the way you see the profession, the stuff we've talked about, the stuff you've written about, what would be – where do you see the profession moving and what would be your sort of ideal vision for OT as a profession? I'll put you on the spot. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I-
1: it's just, it's just being realistic. There's being idealistic about this, isn't there? Well, one of the things you've got to you got to kind of remember is that the, the the entire global population of occupational therapists is a is a tight community, and in fact, it's about as big as Sheffield and Rotherham combined. So that's about seven hundred and fifty thousand people in the world, including all the students and people who are not yet registered with Workforce because they don't fit the criteria to to get it.
2: Mm.
1: So, um, so there's not very many people. Um, you know. Uh, who have to change the face of the globe and, and, and make it into a sustainable place to, to live in and everybody to have have a, have a good time and a reasonably equitable chance of uh, you know a, a decent as life as they can manage. Um, because of what course we hold the truth, you know, if you're doing, being becoming, and belonging. Um, uh, I will you'll guarantee your you'll, you'll guarantors of, of, of health. Yep. Um, but uh, that aside. Um, so there's that uh, there's a real practical um, problem of how we have influence and you know we can't just keep talking to ourselves we've actually got to find a way to communicate with all the other people that we work with um, and um, getting you know we, we, there's been no end of Doctors and Nurses um, uh, TV series well how about you know some sort of popular stuff around occupational therapy we're occupational therapists Actually, do get to do their job with them looking you know, after gorillas, or you know, um, or actually becoming a physiotherapist because it's far too complicated to talk about what occupational therapists do to the, the average yeah. member of the public. That kind of that's one of the things is, is like how do we get into popular awareness? That's that's that's, that's that. that um, and I think there are there are different camps in occupational therapy. So you know, on on the one hand, there are people like me that are interested in things like you know around social justice and that kind of stuff but I'm aware that that's a small network of people. Um, and um, and I suppose what I want to do is I want to kind of, in within that, that small community, there are, there are fragmented bits of it where people are talking in Spanish and they're talking in Portuguese and talking in German and they're talking in, in Greek. And um, how do we uh, recognise the possibilities that are happening in those different language zones and localities and, and um uh, and exchange those, those practices? What have we got to learn from um, what is going on on the other side of the world, I, you know, from, from the UK? Yeah, so yeah. looking at, you know, actually in, in, in the global south, what have we got to learn from that? Because we live in a globalised diversity and that means that there are diasporas all over the place um, who would benefit from and can benefit the wider society around so it's it's sort of it's it's that kind of about learning conviviality so i think we could be in a in a key position to do that but we need to change the profession um to be able to do that and that is not a place where you can earn your crust because it means engaging with the community and nobody's going to pay you to do that yeah so that's 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 a problem so that means that many occupational therapists who are doing that are working a 40 hour week and then they're doing a bit of that on the side um, in order to, 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 you know, because they have that belief and because they, they that's, that's the way to sustain it, and that is, you know, working a, a 60 hour week or, or whatever isn't the way to a convivial existence either because you've got to actually look after yourself, yeah. Um, so I think there are some, some, some challenges ahead, really, in terms of what we, what we do and, and how we can communicate those issues to people, and we're not the only people to have that kind of knowledge either that's something else it's, it's, it's how we band, band it together um so i would like to see i would like to see um uh some better recognition of what occupational therapists do i would like to see us being able to capture some of the research and evidence-based framework or the 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 way that um that kind of knowledge is is made visible whether it's through the sort of standard process of of getting into research i think actually that so much of that is just you know, um, uh, part of the industry of churning out the millions and millions and millions of medical uh, papers that nobody ever reads outside the, the academic framework. So how do, how do we actually get into, you know, the people who are going to ask for occupational therapists are going to be the people that we work with. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the people who demand that from the politicians or who demand that from the, the insurance companies or the, the, the people providing health services. we that, you where know, occupational is a the premium service. It's all very well, um, that it being a premium service of people who can afford the the, the, the the private healthcare, and even in the UK we're going towards you know we're on a, we're on a, a slow road to that kind of privatised health market. It's 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 coming it's, it's coming faster than we can think, um, and you know and, and maybe there are also other huge changes. All this sort of online proliferation that's happening at the moment. We'll, we'll sort of drive that in ways that we, we, we can't imagine. So I think, I, I, I think there are some, the, 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 maybe you know, the profession working for or being able to voice um, a demand for a more um, convivial existence, or to be able to work with people to achieve that. But it can't be it can't be us alone. It has to be working in collaboration with other people. And, and hopefully, I might actually get to see that by the time I'm actually wheeled into the care home and or, or not being dragged down for you know another session of bingo and sing along and that's my grace or, or whatever else it might be that, that, that lies in wait for the unfortunate occupational therapist who encounters me and finds that actually I'm the cantankerous old git by that time. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite likely. <laughs> that's quite likely if I'm going to be making Christmas after doing bingo. But um, <laughs> you know, well, well, I'd like to see the professional sort of gear itself up to to, to something uh, at least in the next sort of 10 or 20 years so I've got a chance of actually seeing it. Um, that would be nice. Well, I think I think we've just, got to, um, we've just got to keep doing some of the stuff that we're doing in terms of um, articulating that sort of fairer approach to society. But it also needs a lot of critical critical examinations. So I think we're at we're an interesting point in the professional... History and development sort of being sort of a hundred years out from from, uh, from from the origins in terms of really consolidating that that sort of knowledge base. We've probably got to have a few arguments and um, and heated discussions about where where we're going in that process, and maybe we won't all be going in the same direction. But I think that's that's that sort of uh, some of the ground that we've got to do to to really establish ourselves from you know what could be I think a dangerous point we could end up making ourselves irrelevant by sort of getting into some kind of wishy-washy yeah.
2: um,
1: uh, language of our own, which doesn't connect to where other people are at. And, and you know, what there is within occupational science uh, and occupational therapy, people who are sort of trying to build that kind of um, articulation, that kind of network with, you know, um, uh, established, you uh, Fields of knowledge, and, and also to challenge those fields of knowledge, but from a, a, a sound grounding in terms of um, uh, their experience as uh, colonised or oppressed, or marginalised groups of people, um, and that also has to be reckoned with. Um, so it could be, you know, it could be exciting if mm. um, if, all that, if all that happens. Language is a huge problem, and I don't know how we 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 kind of. Over, overcome that to be a, a more polyglot profession I'm struggling with with, um, with languages myself so you have, I think people have to be prepared to do that but the technology is also enabling that kind of thing to, to happen every day so yeah. so maybe that's going to be, become better too but it's important to sort of keep those um, uh, that, that sort of you know broad scope of, of, of the many things that make up what it is to be human that's that's it's, uh, um uh, just well so we're not just sort of churning out the same consumerist vision of what appropriate occupation might be.
0: I couldn't think of a better way to finish that one up. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty good vision to me i'll be I'll be keen to get on board with that one uh thanks so much for your time It's, it's been Thank an you, absolute bro. absolute pleasure, and i my brain is just exploding at the moment. I got so much to reflect on. <laughs>
1: Well, thanks, thanks, thanks very much, Rafi. It It's great to actually to, to, to talk to you at that at last and, and, you know, to share experiences of psychiatry and uh, um, I know, sort of difficult moments in our, our history as well. So yeah, that's great. Thank you.
0: If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to occupiedpodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favourite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.